Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting. Uh, we do it once a week. If you're new, it's about an hour long, uh, breaking down uh, you know, various discussion topics that are going on in the world of Michigan athletics. Of course, we are powered through uh, michigan.247sports.com just merged with the Michigan Insider, so you can find us there too. Hopefully we've got some new listeners and hopefully some new people who like to listen and and might be coming back again. So welcome. This is episode 20 of the podcast. We've been doing it since June. I certainly started out just kind of wondering what it would be like and and, uh, had very good feedback so far. If you'd like what you hear today, be sure to rate us, uh, maybe even throw in a comment, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, You can also always check our site, for this podcast and all all of our stories. I mean, we've got seven writers now pumping out, you know, a dozen stories every single day. So th- this this can be your one-stop shop for all Michigan athletics news. We've got recruiting guys. We've got team site guys. Uh, very exciting time to be on our site, uh, certainly from a staff perspective, but also from a reader perspective. As for today's podcast, no reason, no reason to, to you know, manufacture content here. Lots going on. Basketball. Off to a 2-0 start. Maybe 3-0. Most likely will be 3-0 by the time you listen to this show. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, most of the show is going to be dedicated to uh, Wisconsin. Michigan traveling to Madison. Take on the number five team in the country. Do they have a chance? What is it going to take? How much better is this Michigan team than it was before? That'll all be discussed in the back half of this show. But to start us off, we always like to field questions. We didn't get quite as many questions this week i think we're having uh you know the di- the different boards and and i kind of had a late start because of uh, other obligations so we didn't get quite as many questions as we usually do but we did get a couple off topic ones which is the stuff that we like to start with so first and foremost what this one comes from via azul one of our most loyal question askers uh says he asks we're a week away from thanksgiving what is your one favorite thanksgiving food appetizer entree side dessert and what is your opinion on the most overrated Thanksgiving food? Uh, I, I've, I'm excited for this question. I've certainly got stuff. Uh, I'm Zach Shaw, your host. Joining me on the phone, Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull. By the way, Isaiah is going to be in limited action today. He is driving uh, to go pick up a dog, which is which is fun. But it also, it also means that uh, he is driving in the wind and the rain. And so there's a little bit of ambient noise. So I'll just turn him on. He'll say his pieces and then... And then we'll turn him off. Uh, certainly, he'll be back in regular form next week. But Isaiah, uh, favorite Thanksgiving food, and then one that you think might be a little overrated. Favorite by far is turkey, uh, but it has to be. It's actually both. Both of my answers are actually turkey. But but the best is dark meat turkey, especially doused in a bit of gravy. Uh, you get a little bit of uh, any of the other things kind of mixed in the stuffing, the you know. Not a huge fan of cranberries, but, you know, you get it all together, it's kind of great. But I can't stand, actually, white meat turkey. To me, it's just bland. It's not fun yep. to eat. It's just, you know, it's dry. So that's that's really it to me. It's really it's the best and the worst both come from the same same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually will have a similar statement. Steve, uh, what what do you like for Thanksgiving? What's, what's overrated? Uh... I like stuffing, like home. It's got to be like a homemade, though, none of that box crap. And then, um, so that's probably actually probably my favorite, to be okay. honest with you. Like 
even more than the turkey. I mean, I love turkey, but stuffing, it's weird. Like you never, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not normal, but like how often have I had dinner that has stuffing with it when it's not Thanksgiving, even though like stuffing's really good. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? But uh, overrated is, I think that, uh, what is it? Cranberry sauce or jelly or that yeah it's nasty it's disgusting it's useless um you know i'm not not big on that one i think it's kind of gross so but it seems it's rated though right like when i say it's overrated like people actually like that correct yes yes cranberry cranberry sauce is is a big i i think mostly on the turkey i think it's a it's a staple i think that's okay then it's definitely it's overrated so okay i well you guys know i don't do uh most of my answers are a little off the wall Uh, i don't know i must have been raised raised different or something but my favorite thanksgiving food i do this thing and i'm gonna get yelled at but the stuffing the the turkey the mashed potatoes the gravy uh, i'm trying to think what else what else goes in there but i i do a thing cranberry stuff uh, I'm trying, you know, the green beans, I try to, I love to like mix it all together and just have this big plate of, of lots of different foods going on. Uh, my tongue can handle it. It's a lot of different flavors, but, but I'm, I'm certainly tough enough to handle it. I, I really like to like to have a busy plate on Thanksgiving and then my overrated, I think I'm, I'm with Isaiah. I think Turkey is overrated. I I've had Thanksgivings where, uh, it's been like like fried chicken. I've had th- uh, like spaghetti. I've had it where it's been like uh, steak, and and it's just it's infinitely better. I'm not, you know, I think there's a lot of great traditions, you know, around the holidays and stuff, but I don't I don't quite get why turkey has to be the Thanksgiving food. I think you know we're in the 21st century. We can get any meat, you know, and it it'll taste good any time of the year. Uh, so I am I am all about mixing it up doing anything anything but turkey and i i don't i don't i'll eat it i'll eat it but you know they mark up the prices you might as well go with something else that's my that's my thanksgiving hot take is that turkey is the most overrated food uh i'm trying to think what else what are are the other thanksgiving staples like if i'm missing something but i got i gotta ask when somebody like which i'm sure you've been criticized for your mixing everything together and eating it have you ever responded to somebody by saying Oh well, it all goes down the same place. You ever done that? No comment. Yeah, no, I'll bet that's like your go-to, isn't it? When somebody like <laughs> gives, you, gives you a hard time about, oh, well, it all going to the same place. Not, not yeah. so much anymore, because I heard, I heard other people say it, and it just sounded dumb when they said it. So I think yeah. that I think I was like a freshman in college, and I heard people say that in the dorms, and I was like, you know what? We're not going to say that anymore. That's why I said it like in a a dumb, I know, I know. voice. Yeah, I know. I had no, I thought it was like a clever thing until I heard other people say it, and it was like got. Yeah, lost a little bit of its sheen. Anyway, that's it for the Thanksgiving. Uh, we got another off-topic question from Dayoko, another frequent question asker. Uh, says, what do you guys expect out of Tennessee football and interim head coach Brady Hoke? That name sounds familiar to our listeners. For the rest of the season, uh, for some context, he's going to wear a headset. Uh, he's He's making practices more competitive. At least that's what the players are saying. You know, the, the roster spots are, are opened up. He was also, what, their defensive line coach, so it's not like he's 
fully aware of how to utilize John Kelly or, or, you know, Tennessee's offense, but uh, we'll start with Isaiah again. I mean, what are your thoughts? I I'm not, I know they have to play, they get to play Vanderbilt. That might, that from a talent perspective should be a win. Uh, they've also got LSU. I uh, don't think they're going bowling, but what do you, what do you expect from the Brady Hoke led Tennessee volunteers? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, uh, probably something a little bit better than what Butch Jones was doing there. But, you you know, at the same time, like, isn't Butch Jones basically just Brady Hope, Tennessee edition, you know, in a pretty big way. (laughs) Uh, I mean, at least as far as like the, the the man and like the trajectory and kind of like, you know, how he handles things. Champions uh, of life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really know. I don't really no, I didn't see very much Tennessee football and with Jones's tenure, to be honest. So I can't really tell you what the uh, what the style of play was. I did feel like what what little I saw, they were really underutilizing a lot of really good talent last year. Particularly, I did see a bit of the Tennessee App State game, and I mean that shouldn't have been that should not have been nearly as close as it was, despite App State being a pretty decent team. So I don't think. LSU is a pretty tough proposition. Yeah, they lost to Troy, but they seem to kind of, you know, right in the ship since then. And Vanderbilt should be a win, but they have they have a losing Tennessee has a losing streak against every single SEC opponent as current. Uh, do I think having Hokin could help? Yeah, but I think it's just more from a change of a change of perspective for some of the players. I feel like they gave up a bit on Butch Jones. Uh, they yeah. did at the beginning of the season coming back and being able to beat Georgia Tech the way they did. But, uh, you know, after that, it just seems like they just they gave up. And, you know, having a new guy kind of leading the charge, I think, will help them a bit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat LSU. They should really? beat Vanderbilt. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't say I think they will. I just I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Wouldn't that be something if but, Brady Hoke led Tennessee to a bowl game? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean... It's it's kind of more of a silly question than than a serious one. I mean, he's an interim coach for two games. Tennessee is undoubtedly trying to open up its bank account to get a to get a really you know John Gruden Chip Kelly type of coach. Uh, Steve, anything to add? Any anything to to consider during the Brady Hoke tenure? Well, he's obviously you know he's coaching for like auditioning for his next spot. Yeah. Um, I, can I, I just, I'm not, I guess if you're a Tennessee fan, it's, it's desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm not saying it'd be a bad hire by any means. I'm just not nearly as enamored with John Gruden as a college head coach. I think <laughs> as a lot of other people seem to be, I know he won the super bowl, uh, you know, but it's, that was what was that like 15 years ago? Yeah. Like 14, yeah 15, 15 years ago. Years he hasn't ago. coached in college in 25 years. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. I could, I, you know, this could fall. I, I could be totally wrong on that. I mean, he's obviously got a personality he's known. So, uh, you know, he'd be able to recruit, I assume to some extent. Um, but I don't know. I'm not as gung ho about him as a ace, no risk slam dunk hire like a Harbaugh was or like a uh you know Harbaugh had the track record in college he went to Michigan 
Well, you know, and Saban had a track record. Meyer had a track record. Right. He wouldn't be in that exactly. conversation is what you're saying. I don't think so. I, I yeah. don't think so. I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you'd be happy with Dan Mullen. Um, yeah, I'd be a great Dan hire. Mullen. Yeah, he's done a hell of a job at Mississippi State, I mean, considering their resources and, uh, you know, just Starkville uh, not being the most, you know, uh, glamorous place for, <laughs> for a high school student to want to go to college. So, um, sorry to all of our Starkville listeners Yeah, I out think there, it's but, like two. <laughs> yeah, well probably not even that but if there are i'm sorry um but yeah i mean for hoke though uh i don't know he's just auditioning for his next spot you know i assume he won't stick at tennessee regardless of who they hire so you know i hope the best for him i i I still think he's a good guy um obviously wasn't the right fit at michigan but um a guy that's easy to root for i think for in most respects you think he'd get a head coaching job, or you think it'd be still defensive coordinator, uh, defensive line? I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on how Tennessee comes. Out. That's what I, I guess. That's kind of what exactly what I mean is where, hey, if they come out and look pretty solid, I could see a. You know, it wouldn't be like a major team, but I could see somebody. Yeah. Taking a chance on him, uh, you know, you like know, a UCF or or something. Somebody yeah, like someone that. that loses their head coach. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess we'll see. They play uh, number 21 LSU at home, and they also host Vanderbilt. So if they win both, they're in a bowl game. Uh, they'll be 6-6, six and six, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> It'd be funny if Brady Hoke becomes the, the Knoxville Messiah. But anyway, let's talk Let's talk Michigan. Michigan basketball, they went, uh, they've beaten North Florida. They beat Central Michigan. Haven't especially looked great. In either in either game, uh, we got a question from Via. It's still really early in the season with only two games played, but has anything in particular stood out to you about the team as a whole or about individual players? So I'll start with the team as a whole. My my what stands out to me is, and and I want to when when we throw it to Steve, I want to hear biggest strength and then biggest pressing problem. I'll start with the problem. I think it's a team wide thing, uh, and this. I was I was in Maryland for the North Florida game, so I did not I did not watch it, but uh, but it seemed like against Central Michigan, Michigan. I hate I hate the cliche identity crisis. I didn't like it when people said it about Michigan's offense this fall football team. I uh, don't love to use it here, but it doesn't seem like they know who their plan A, plan B, plan C are on offense. You know when they really need to get on a run. Who's the person that's taking the the shot first if it's open? Yeah, you know, we saw a couple possessions where they were gonna just passing it around the perimeter, kind of waiting to see if someone else was gonna be more open. And some of that's you're facing a zone defense. You're not gonna see a lot of zone defense in the Big Ten, uh, so that's part of it. But then you also saw, you know, Charles Matthews. It's like he had a wide open three. He can shoot the three now. I don't think it's his strength, but he can shoot it. And and then he would drive it in and then dish it out to someone else who would also pass up an open three, drive it in, pass it out. It just seemed like a little bit of identity crisis. That's that's probably the biggest problem for me. Uh, I think the biggest strength that I'm or the thing I'm most impressed with. Right. Because I don't think I think push comes to shove. This is still an offensive based team. But I thought the defense looked really good. I think there's way more uh, in your face defensive intensity i think people are way in way better position and it was against mid-major teams so that's worth keeping in mind not quite the same ball movement 
uh, not quite the same offensive fluidity that they're facing later on this season. But I thought it was really quite impressive. It seemed like there was always someone there, always a hand in the face. Uh, you know, in Central Michigan, yeah, they made 10 of 24 threes, but like seven of those makes were guarded. And it's just like it's just like in football. When you go back and watch the film and you grade and a receiver was as well covered as they could have been, they still made the catch. Sometimes you just say, well, throughout the course of the season, not everyone's going to make those catches. Sometimes people just just are, are just going to make the threes. And and Central Michigan shoots the three more than any all but two teams in the country. So they were just going to shoot no matter what. Uh, they happen to be pretty good at it. So I, it's it's I don't know if I, I would call them defensive strength, but, you know, the shot blocks, the two point defense. A uh, little bit of the three-point defense. I think they're still they're still working on that, but seemed like there was more intensity, and I think that has a lot to do with the increased athleticism they have. You know, you can get away with, you know, if you miss your footing on one drive, but you're Charles Matthews and you're very athletic, you can make up for it in other ways. So that's the biggest problem. Don't think they know what they're doing offensively. Biggest weakness or biggest uh, strength is I think they do know what they're doing defensively Steve I guess what are your thoughts uh through these first two games uh yeah so I watched the whole game against Central um I think Rockman needs to be a little more assertive in the lane see it's, I feel like it's the same thing with Michigan every year offensively especially it's who's going to be that guy that's going to create inside the lane because you know Walton was very uh passive for a lot of his career and even maybe the first quarter or third of last season. And it wasn't until he became more of a force in the lane, you know, that allowed guys like Robinson and uh, Rockman last year, those guys to, to have more open shots on the outside. You know, I think that's, I think that's why Michigan was so, so effective offense. I mean, obviously, you know, I was going to say with Trey Burke, but I mean, yeah, they had like four or five pros, in that starting line. Yeah, they were Obviously, benching first-round draft picks, yeah. <laughs> right, but at the same time, though, that's what made Burke so special in that offense was because he could do both. Uh, he was a force in the lane. He was a force in the pick-and-roll, but he could also shoot the ball from the outside. So uh, I think that's where the point guard situation is a little bit of an issue as far as – it's like if you could combine Jaron Simmons and Xavier <laughs> yeah, Simpson, yeah. you'd have like the perfect point guard for Michigan's offense, but you have – Simpson, who was was effective offensively, actually. Uh, yeah, 13 that, points which, on seven shots against right, Central. You know, yeah. which, which is was probably the most um, positive development, I guess, for that for the, from the game, in my opinion, uh, was seeing him assert himself a little bit more offensively, especially from the outside. Uh, but you know, Simpson's at this point is to this point has been known more of as a defensive stopper, mm-hmm. and then Simmons is kind of that guy who will drive the lane, who can make some plays, but is a huge liability on the defensive end, or at least appears to be. So um, that's my biggest takeaway. I guess it's kind of one of those things where I, I guess I just feel the same way about this team like I did last year's team. Uh, I think we're going to be in January, February, and we're going to see a, a team that's way, way better than they are right now. They have the potential to be deeper. I mean, I think you wrote about it. Everyone talked about, you know, John Teske looked really good uh, in limited time as as a guy who – can do some things for them defensively that I, I can't remember the last time they had. You yeah, know, if ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, 
So overall, I think, I guess, I don't know, it is what it is right now. I mean, I'm not shocked at the way they played against Central. But that being said, though, you know, Robinson misses, what, a handful of wide-open threes. He was three uh, for nine, I think. Um, yeah, and then I think uh, Matthew struggled from the outside. I mean, their their shooters struggled from the outside, and a lot of those looks were open. So, again, that's kind of typical beeline at Michigan is is if they hit four or five of those shots all of a sudden we're talking about they win by 22 points right yeah for context uh Wagner was one of five from three Matthews was one of six from three and Robinson was uh three of eight and honestly Muhammad was three of nine so that's I mean you're starting you're starting four or five guys are what it was that eight of uh like 20 from three not even that it's even worse than that yeah Yeah, it's eight so, of, yeah, oh, well. I know what you no, mean, though. That's exactly what, you know, if they hit those shots, and again, especially Robinson, a lot of those looks were open. I mean, he had open looks, so, um, you know, he's obviously going to have to hit those, but that's kind of been the story for him, too. He's Most of the time he's on, sometimes he has an off game like that. I wouldn't expect him to, I would expect him to shoot better tonight if he gets the same amount of open looks. So, um, but overall, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm always interested in, and I guess excited to see which of the young guys, the really young guys, like come in and maybe make an impact right away. So, uh, you know, Brooks and Livers both got ample time mm-hmm. uh, the other night, and Brooks kind of just looks like a guy that's that's going to be a good player for them, and maybe sooner rather than later. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, him and he and Simmons are both. We talked to them yesterday. I mean, they're both still kind of getting this thrown at them. And Derek Walton told us a year ago that it took him like twenty minutes or twenty months in beeline system before he was like, okay, I understand this all now. And I think that's, that's where people might be able to get excited about Simpson a little bit is that he, he is a sophomore and all, all signs. I mean, he, he pondered transferring when they brought in Simmons and, and, you know, Brooks was committed and signed to the class. And he said, no, I want to make it work here. And I think that there is some value in being that motivated uh, to 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 take a, to turn down, you know, better options. Because remember, like Andrew Dockich was a walk-on here, and he went over, and he's gonna play on scholarship for Ohio State. So you could see where Simmons could or Simpson could see his minutes uh, as a potential. He could he could increase his minutes, you know, going somewhere else, but he chose to stay here. So yeah, that point guard battle. I thought I thought Xavier kind of made a statement on Monday. I mean, it's a small one in a kind of a game most people would rather forget but uh, I thought I thought he looked I mean the two threes that he made you know to start Michigan runs and you know just getting trying a lot of stuff and and making six or seven shots I thought that was that was unique as far as Teske uh yeah just I mean if he can start using those arms and that length more I mean it, teams are going to be really in a bind whenever he gets onto the court uh, which is, you know, I thought I thought Mark Donnell was a little underrated as a as a center. I know people really like to get on his case, but you know, if Teske can get in there and be a shot stopper and just be like a a seven one two hundred and sixty pound force in the paint, you know, that's something most teams can't compete with. And I yeah, Brooks, I think he'll keep playing. I actually was pretty excited by by Liver's game. I thought I think he. You know, we we mentioned this in the off season that he's you know he averaged 14 and a half rebounds in, in his senior year of high school. It's a big part of why he won Mr. Basketball for Michigan. 
And I just think he has a little bit more of a of a thirst for rebounds than than a lot of players do. Uh, I don't I don't know if he's the best rebounder on Michigan's team. I don't know if he's even in the top two or three now that Mo Wagner's getting a lot of rebounds too. But I mean, someone that can come in, you know, maybe a slide dunk into the three, and you put Livers at the four, and he just goes in and gets you two rebounds. Starts out everyone's transition baskets because those are way easier to get than the half court ones. Uh, you know, just being able to get those defensive rebounds and and get the offense moving a little faster. I think this team has the athleticism to to make that work. So we'll see. I think they're gonna. I think Southern Miss is gonna be a game to uh, to kind of quell some of these questions. I think they're gonna be able to. Southern Miss is worse than Central Michigan and North Florida. Uh, they're kind of like a bot outside the top 300 kind of game, which may sink Michigan's RPI, but it also may allow the team to figure itself out a little bit more. And so, Steve, real quick, with with three potential high major opponents next week in the Maui Invitational, what do you want to see tonight? And for our Friday listeners, what will you have hoped to have seen tonight uh, against the the Golden Eagles? Like I, you know, like I said, I think. See, he's a good shooter, but I don't know if I want to see Rockmon taking nine threes again. Um, maybe for Matthews, too. Like, Matthews, I think, you know, pulled up a little bit too often. There was one play he made in the lane, a nice little turnaround jumper. Uh, you know, a guy at his size, he should be able to get that shot off successfully. He was five uh, of six from two and one for six from three. Yeah, you know, so to see those guys maybe slice and dice a little bit more and uh, get the other guys open. I think would be something I'd be looking for. Man, Rockman is so good in the lane. Uh, he, I think he's their best finisher uh, and a guy that can, you know, not only get to the basket but do something when he gets there. So I think I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Uh, you know, the other thing, real quick, it was also you talk about Wagner. Really encouraging to see him pick up the aggressiveness on the defensive boards because that's, you know, that's something Michigan again. Like we talk about Teske being a nice force down low. Uh, you know, Walton was their leading rebounder last year's correct. Was that, did that end up? That uh, ended up? I think, I think DJ might, oh, I think, I honestly think Mo might've passed him too, but two years ago, okay. Walton was the leading rebounder and Mo was around five rebounds a game, but he's got two double doubles so far. Right. So I, you know, I think that's encouraging to see too. So, um, but that's what just more, more, you know, dribble drive penetration, get their guys open shots. Again, beeline's always going to create open shots for these guys in some capacity, but it's just, it's going to be so much harder for these defenses to, to check Michigan. Um, if they got guys who can get into the lane and finish, otherwise you're going to see again, kind of what we do every year. we will, these games where they'll go through these six or seven minute droughts, not scoring because mm-hmm. they're just passing the ball around the perimeter and then chucking it up with like five or six seconds to go. So, yeah. uh, Anything to get out of those situations, I think, is what you want to look for this tonight and maybe next week. Yeah, I think I think continuing to see the the big men progress rebounding because I mentioned this in the Teske story. If your center gets the rebound, suddenly no guards have to come back and get the you know you don't have to you can you can move your offense a little faster because you just play you just don't use the center you just pass it twenty feet up find Xavier and then he finds Muhammad and Muhammad drives it in. That's a way easier basket than your traditional Xavier Simpson slowly dribbles it up the court. You got your five umbrella set up and 
Yeah, it's just it's way easier baskets as you mentioned. You can avoid some of those scoring droughts that'll that'll kill you. Uh, and so far, just for context for people, Mo Wagner and John Teske. Mo Wagner's defensive rebounding rate is 43 percent. John Teske's is 24 percent. Defensive rebound rate is percentage of potential rebounds while you're on the court that you grab. Uh, it's a way better tactic than than just counting raw rebounds um, because some teams shoot and miss miss a lot more shots than others. But last season, uh, Mo Wagner and Mark Donnell had rebound rates of 15% and 11%. So if you're talking 43 and 24, and that'll go down, but let's say you're at 30 and 20 versus 15 and 11, suddenly you're getting twice as many easier baskets than you used to. So it's certainly something to watch. I actually, I would like to see, I don't mind, in these games where Michigan can win comfortably I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to see if Matthews can get uh, his shot going because that was that was what turned him from a five-star into a four-star was suddenly people realized he couldn't shoot the three um, and I think that that kind of diminished his depth a little bit so you know if if like they get to December and he's still shooting 20 percent from three or whatever he's at you know maybe then you kind of ditch it but you know he spent a whole year working on it the rumors are that you know he was in in practice he's hitting about 75% of his threes which isn't doesn't mean he's going to shoot 40% from 3 but it means he can keep defenses honest by maybe shooting 33%. So something you know we'll see we'll see what they ask him to do. They may they may have him start at the two start with the two point easier shots and then work his way out whereas yesterday he started outside and then worked his way in. Uh but Michigan's offense should face man-to-man. Uh, we'll see, though. I mean, Jaron Simmons was kind of s- screwed himself over because he said, oh, we're really excited to not have to face zone anymore. So now every team that knows how to do zone is going to throw zone at them and, until they beat it. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but enough basketball. Let's shift over to football, hitting the 30-minute mark in our in our podcast here. Uh, Michigan's got a pretty big game. They, they face number five Wisconsin in Wisconsin. Haven't played there since 2009, but College Game Day is going to be there. It's a top 20 matchup, according to the AP poll. Uh, very, very big game. And, and oh, we did we do have another football question real quick that we should address. Uh, this one's from Via. says, looking at the draft-eligible underclassmen, uh, Higdon and Winovich seem like they are starting to gain some traction nationally. Do you expect either of them to test out the waters? Uh, I, I don't. I don't think Higdon... Is I, I think Higdon probably needs to do it for a whole season. Uh, it needs to be like the guy. I mean, he's I, I believe he's pretty small for an NFL running back. Uh, you know, certainly certainly a talented player, but I think I think he probably needs another season. As for Winovich, he could probably get drafted this year if he wanted to. Um, I I don't know. Uh, let's go to Isaiah first. I mean, you can also expand it to the rest of the guys and and kind of look into what this team's going to look like next season. Do you expect any early departures? Uh, is there anyone you've got your eye on as as maybe leaving a year early? Not really. No, it just kind of seems like you got a lot of guys that are starting to come on. They're kind of in that place where it's like they're starting to show you something. Uh, I think Michigan fans are really excited, obviously, about both Higdon and Winovich uh, particularly, but these are the types of players that 
usually you're seeing the, their type of production and saying like, all right, well they're they're starting to, to round into form, not not uh, you know not like oh that we should worry about them leaving as of yet. Uh, Winovich had a big year, uh, obviously himself. Uh, a lot of that due to what the guys next to him have done, and I'm sure that the NFL scouts would see that. Uh, obviously, he's done well for himself, but at the same time, you know, there's there's a lot of things moving parts up front that have helped him to be able to be as successful. Uh, he'll do himself the best service, in my opinion, to to play another year, especially without uh, first playing right next to him, uh, just to show that you know he has whatever talent that he actually has. Uh, but uh, they, they would be the only ones I would see as the possibilities, but I don't see them as true, honest possibilities personally. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and Steve, I'll let you chime in on this too because, you know, you've got, you've got this season, the draft is going to be Hurst, Mason Cole. I don't think Mike McRae has played himself out of anything. I know some fans are not not over the moon thrilled with how he's played this season, but I think he's still, he's still a very draftable linebacker. Uh, any, anyone else to, to keep an eye on as far as getting drafted and maybe leaving early? I know, I know there's probably going to be some departures uh, with the whole fifth year thing. There's a lot of guys who are currently redshirt seniors and a lot of them, I don't think have done quite enough to merit a fifth year. So I don't know any 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 other names to watch and any thoughts on Higdon and Winovich? Not really. I assume you're referring to the the firm handshakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I figured there's def- there's going to be some of those coming for sure. Uh, Higdon Winovich wise, no. I mean, I don't think so. I think Chase is a guy that I'd be really surprised if he left early, unless he was like you know, was guaranteed a high, you know, like, like something significant. Cause I think he's the kind of guy that's really, really worked his tail off to get where he's gotten and to maybe kind of help Michigan kind of get back on their feet. And I think he'd rather see it out next year and, and be the leader, uh, particularly on the defense, if not for the entire team. So uh, I'd be kind of surprised with him with Higdon. I, I don't really know. Uh, you could argue that, you know, granted, his best games have been against some some subpar teams, but you know, you see that his stats are comparable to Barkley's right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, in running, yeah. not. I mean, Barkley can do right. receiving and other stuff too, but yeah. Right, right. No, I know, but but you'd also argue that Higdon's putting up those rushing stats against a or with a an inconsistent offensive line, I guess we'd put it, and then much less of a passing game than Penn State has. So. You know, I think what Higdon's done is impressive in its in its mm-hmm. own right. So, you know, I think he'll eventually get some. I just don't know if it'd be this year, though. I, I guess I'd be I'd be very surprised if either one of those guys, yeah, uh, jetted early for different reasons. So, By the way, as we've uh, discussed this, Michigan football tweeted out a video saying Karan Higdon has emerged as our most productive running back this year. He talks to us about his future and his motivation. So. I'll be watching that once this once we finish recording. But no, I I agree. I don't think he's. I don't think you're going to have the same drama this season. I think, I, I mean, I think there's only going to be three or four guys that are significant contributors who depart. I mean, you can probably throw Patrick Kugler in there, Ty Isaac, uh, you know, John O'Corn if you wanted to. But certainly, you know, as soon as the season ends, 
I think I think people are gonna start, you know, getting really excited for next season's team. But they've still got two games to go, and they're both against top ten teams: Wisconsin, Ohio State. They have the number one remaining strength of schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. No team, no team has it worse than than Michigan these final two weeks, as far as daunting tasks. Now, if they win, they can really make a statement about themselves, their program. Uh, you know what they're going to be, what they are. They might even contend for a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, but there's there's a few things that have to happen. And the first question regarding Michigan-Wisconsin is pick pick one thing. And, and I you know don't don't John Madden me. Don't say the team that's going to score. They need to score more points than Wisconsin in order to win. But like what's something that needs to needs to change or Michigan needs to do different than it has either against other good teams or just in general in order to come away with the victory. Isaiah, we're going to start with you. Uh, what's what's one or two things that need to need to change for Michigan to pull off the upset? Well, they need to be able to run the ball effectively against the top-tier defense, something we still haven't seen. I know some of these teams that they've faced, like Minnesota, you know, when, when they're, you know, Minnesota was more known for their pass defense than their run defense and everything, but a lot of these teams that they face that have had relatively decent defenses and everything, they're they're not kind of what we talk about when we say top defenses. You know, they they haven't been able to really effectively run the ball against, you know, this year against Michigan State or Penn State. I know they were kind of getting it going against both and just kind of had, you know, fell behind and sort of passing the ball. But they have to be able to run for more than three yards a carry, and that's not something that they were really doing in either game uh, as a collective. Uh, obviously, Ron Higdon had some had some success against Michigan State, and they inexplicably went away from him. So that's going to be the thing going up against a really, really good, not even really good, the best run defense in the entire yeah. country. Thompson letting up only 84 and a half yards a game. Mm-hmm. It's going to be... Michigan can only win the game if they're able to run the ball. Now, teams have been able to run the ball against them, not in the way that Michigan wants to. But well, they also uh, haven't faced Michigan's cal- a caliber of running core. You know, like Maryland got 150 yards, but I'd say I'd put Evans, Higdon, and Isaac ahead of Maryland's guys probably any day of the week. Oh, absolutely. But that's also going to be a coming on Michigan, and I guess this would be the other key that kind of goes hand-in-hand is they have to get up for this game because they didn't get up for the Penn State game. Seems like that they don't always get up for these big games like they should. So they're going to have to be able to, to go in and make a statement themselves. Uh, as much as we talk about Wisconsin, you know, needing to make a statement for the college football playoff, Michigan should feel equally disrespected that looking at the college football playoff, it took them couple weeks to get in despite having a, you know a record that essentially deserved to be at the bottom you know at least in the bottom third uh if not just like slightly below the halfway part and and then you start seeing like teams with more losses ahead of them like they've had the last couple weeks they, they equally aren't getting very much respect for having been an eight and two team now i don't i don't necessarily think that that you know that that's not necessarily really a thing in the sense that you know, I think 24 is, is a little bit low, but I don't think that it's necessarily a bad place for them to be, considering everything. But they, 
you you wonder, do they go in and say, you know, themselves as a team and say, listen, we have just as much, if not more, to prove than Wisconsin. No one's really giving us a chance to win either of these last two games. And they have to be able to go out there and execute. And being able to execute at the run game is the absolute most paramount thing that they can do. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's an interesting situation because, like, they probably, at best, they're probably contending for uh, New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, the the play, the scenario for Michigan to make the Big Ten championship game is they need Penn State and and Michigan State to both lose to they. Well, first Michigan has to win out, and they also need Penn State or Michigan State to lose a game they're not supposed to. Um, because of the way the hierarchy of tiebreakers uh, does not favor Michigan right now, not with two Big Ten East losses. And I agree with you on the run game. One thing to note, and I, I posted this in a, at least one of my preview stories this morning, but Wisconsin, they're in pro football focuses grades. They're actually 55th in run defense. Now, that doesn't mean that they're the 55th best run defense, but it means that they... Are they they make mistakes and they have they have uh, missed assignments here and there and they can probably get away with it because looking at their opponents, Maryland, Indiana, Purdue, or not Maryland but uh, Purdue, Indiana, um, you know trying to think th- trying to think who else I mean they're they face some yeah Nebraska I mean who are the best running backs in those teams you know more freshman Morgan Ellison you know it's it's guys it's like two and a half star freshmen and that's you know they might have great careers, but they're not running heavy offenses. And they did hold Akram Wadley and Justin Jackson uh, to really low rushing totals, 48 yards on 70, 17 carries. So it's so they can stop the run, but they also are a little mistake prone, and they kind of are a little like Michigan's run offense when it had really good success early in the season, but it maybe got away with things because of talent. And now... And then, then you know, the guy kind of showed up against the good teams. So, Steve, I guess for you, I mean, what what stands out is something Michigan Michigan's got to do because I think on paper they are not as good as Wisconsin, so they have to do something different. Uh, what what in your eyes is one of those things? So, I was actually going to take the opposite approach, and I think that Michigan needs to prove that they can throw the ball successfully because if you're Wisconsin, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to play yeah. seven in run, the box. Run, run, run. Yeah. You know, of Make course, they're going to put eight guys in the box all game long until Michigan proves that they can throw the football. Um, where Michigan could potentially be in trouble is I did a little pro football focus studying myself and found that uh, TJ Edwards and I think it's Connolly is the other linebacker. Yeah, Ryan Connolly. Both are like among the highest rated coverage guys in the linebacker position in the country, uh, which yep. means Michigan's tight ends who they love to use, you know, may have the matchup, may, you know, may have their hands full. So, uh, which is something Michigan, I think on a good day is not something they're normally going to have to face because that's what makes their offense so unique is they have tight ends who can create matchup problems against almost any team in the country, <laughs> almost. Uh, whether it's right, whether it's by <laughs> size or speed, it's usually somewhere where they can at least, you know, maneuver their guys into positions to make plays at tight end. So uh, that may be a little more difficult against Wisconsin, at least in the passing game. So Yeah, TJ um, Edwards, four picks, five pass breakups, and he's only allowed three passes to go for 10 yards. Right. So that's 
I just that's not good. I don't think I think I just we were talking about this before we got on. I think this is a actually a bad matchup for Michigan. Uh, even though both teams are sort of the same, where they both love to run the football, they play really good run defense, and they—I don't, you know—Michigan hasn't turned the ball over with Peters yet, but he hasn't really had to carry the offense on his back either. So, you know, the the idea that well, Hornerbrook's got 12 picks, so Michigan should attack and force turnovers. Yes, there's no reason necessarily though to think that Peters—the same thing couldn't happen to Peters on Saturday. So, uh, even without the turnovers so far, so. Um, I, yeah, I think they're going to need to show they can throw. Uh, I think it's the only, you know, only way they're going to be able to run, uh, successfully, like as far as like legit, you know, not just four or five yards, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that to actually like get chunks of the field, uh, sustained drives. I think they're going to have to pass the ball just because the Wisconsin's naturally, I guess I just feel like Wisconsin's probably going to take like a really similar game plan to what Michigan state loves to do against Michigan, which is just run their linebackers right up the middle, you know, and, and throw everything, throw every all the timings off, throw everything off. You know, that's yeah. how Michigan state uh, has always, when they've beaten Michigan, that's how they've always done it. It's been through the linebacker play on the, on the defense. So um, I guess I suspect Wisconsin will probably try to do the same thing. So yeah. Yeah. Throw the ball. Get the receivers involved on the outside. Uh, I mean, that's the other thing. You know, I could see maybe a guy like McDoom or Peoples-Jones being of utmost importance in this game because they can force Wisconsin to maybe have to stretch things out a little bit more than they want to. So um, that's that's what I look at. Yeah. That's what I think. Uh, I You know, they're both – it's 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 un real and and i will say wisconsin is not they've played iowa they've played northwestern i believe those are the only teams with winning records i'm not sure what florida atlantic's record is but i assume that it's not forget forget that part of the equation they face two good teams northwestern and iowa um so it's i do understand these stats are a little inflated but wisconsin and this is this is where i am starting to just think like there's really very little shot for Michigan to win because if it was if it was in Ann Arbor and Wisconsin didn't have ten of their eleven defensive starters are fourth year college football players so either the redshirt juniors transfers seniors or fifth year seniors uh, they they are, are incredibly experienced their top five cornerbacks are holding uh, opponents to forty three percent completion rate two touchdowns eight interceptions uh, it's it's about you know four yards per attempt. So it's, it's, it's going to be, I mean, you talk about passing. Yeah. They need a couple plays uh, because otherwise that run defense is even better, you know, and it's, it, they they make some mistakes, but they've got six linebackers with four and a half or more tackles for loss. So it's, it's not a, it's not a defense you're going to get away with much on, you know, your, your three yard runs are going to be three yard runs. You're not going to break free for nine yard runs. You know, Chris Evans probably isn't going to have seven broken tackles in this game. And so for me, I actually don't I don't know that the offense is even going to pass 10 points. I don't know if they'll even get to 10 points, but I think the defense actually does have an opportunity. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, as great as he is, third nationally in rushing over 1500 yards already. He may set the freshman NCAA record for rushing yards in a season Uh, if he averages about 130 yards his next few games he will break the record but he has three fumbles in his last two games 
you know, uh, Alex Hornerbrook, he has not gone a game without throwing an interception since September. And, and he's, it's, it's, he's thrown 11 picks in seven big 10 games. So this is a team where if Michigan does what it can do, it can actually force some turnovers. That's, and to me, that's the only way I envision Michigan winning is if, you know, you look at how did Michigan state beat Michigan? If Michigan doesn't turn the ball over five times, uh, Michigan's probably eight and one right now, nine and one, excuse me, and still has a chance at the big 10 title. And, but they, they had five turnovers. And so Michigan needs to do a similar thing where it's, it forces two or three turnovers, you know, cause if you force one on a drive and turn it into a touchdown, it's a 14 point swing. Suddenly that 24, 10, I'll give it away. My score prediction is 24, 10, that 24, 10 game is 17, 17. And so, so they need a couple of those. I don't think you can say they need a pick six. But I think they need they need to find a way to stifle Wisconsin's drives in a way that will uh, also benefit Michigan because I think I think Wisconsin's offense is pretty darn consistent. I mean, Ryan Edwards is as good as it gets as far as right tackles in the country. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, we just talked about him. You know, they're missing a couple wide receiving options, but Hornerbrook, even with the 12 picks, he's still 12th nationally in passer efficiency. He throws. You know, nine yards per attempt, 17 touchdowns. Like he's, he's, he's at least serviceable. You know, it's not going to be Maryland's quarterback. It's not Ryan Brand. It's not you know Demry Croft. It's not I don't even Geo Resigno. It's it's a real legitimate quarterback. Uh, and so Michigan's got to has to play its best defensive game in my eyes and and force a couple turnovers. Uh, so anyway, that's that's what we think. Uh, needs to happen for for Michigan to be able to pull off an upset. Uh, hey, was, can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. Paul Christ, nineteen and nineteen at Pitt. He's thirty-one and six at Wisconsin. So you think there's, he's there's program the made? Water, there's something in the water in Madison. I just it's amazing whether it's on fo- the football field or basketball. I know it gets talked about a lot, but. Um, that's just crazy to me. I mean, Pitt, not the easiest place to win, obviously. Yeah, well, look at Narduzzi, um, yeah. Right, but it is kind of the other thing that's kind of funny, I'm on his wiki page, which is how I saw the records, and, you know, it usually gives, like, a ditty about each stop that you make in your career. And for Chris, for University of Pitt, it just says, Chris was hired as the head football coach at the University of Pittsburgh on December 22nd, 2011. That's literally all his wiki page <laughs> about his entire tenure at Pitt. Yeah, it's got, you know, it's got the whole story since he's gotten back to Wisconsin again. So uh, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's something, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Something out there that, yeah, you know. Well, but you know, and, and maybe that, that does boil down to something in, in game planning, but also 31 and six is 31 and six. It's, yeah, I don't it's, care where you're at. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let alone in the big 10. I mean, that's uh you know, yeah. that's it's insane. Hey, question for both you guys, and we'll start with Isaiah. But how much better is Michigan? Because they talked about the improvement, and obviously Michigan needs to be better than it was against Penn State. How much better do you think Michigan is uh, than it was three weeks ago? Uh, I I know that I know that some of some of them inter- you know internally based on some of my sources that I talked to think that they're world's better. I 
hold some reservation about how much better they are, uh, just because I want to see it against, you know, a team that's not Rutgers, Minnesota, Maryland. Um, I do think they are at least marginally better based off of the, the offensive line definitely looks better, particularly, obviously, in the run blocking. Uh, they, they are moving and working with purpose now, whereas before it was still kind of convoluted and they they were still getting pushed back. They're the ones doing the pushing now, which is really good to see. But I still kind of want to, even though they're starting to kind of put teams away a lot, you know, before they weren't, you know, they were putting Cincinnati and Air Force away. Now they are. Now they're, we're talking about it being a close game when they went 35 to 10 against Maryland. I mean, that's, 28-10 to 10 versus Purdue felt like Michigan really took control and blew them out, even though they didn't even get that last seven until pretty late in the game. So they are starting to take care of business, so they are at least a bit better, but I just don't know yet exactly how much better. I, I really just want to see it against a better opponent. And, uh, I mean, really that's it. It just comes down to being able to being able to do at least a little bit offensively and not fall apart defensively like they did against Penn State, against the top-tier team. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, look at look at how they beat... I mean, don't forget, Rutgers beat Purdue. Maryland beat uh, Indiana. You know, it's not to say that Rutgers and Maryland are good teams, but they were, they're blowing out, or not necessarily blowing out, but blowing away teams that are as good as the teams that were flirting with upsets. I mean, Indiana, Indiana taking Michigan to overtime now looks kind of bad because Indiana's one and six in big 10 play. Uh, they're probably a little better than that record, but uh, you know, it's, it certainly seems like it's better. I don't know, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I think they've been better. I mean, that's, you know, we, again, we also talked about this before we got on about, yeah, they played poop teams the last three weeks but I think it was your stat that really opened my eyes offensively about the you know until Peters took over they had 15 total touchdowns and 14 turnovers and they've had now had in 10 quarters they've had 14 touchdowns and zero turnovers I don't really care who you're playing that's progress in some way shape or form right I mean you can the debate would be about how much progress is it really, um, you know, because we may wake up on Sunday or, well, I guess it's finally a noon game. So we on Saturday afternoon, we may be looking at an, another, you know, dud that they laid against a quality team. But uh, it's there's tangible progress, particularly up front. Uh, obviously, the pass protection has still been shoddy, uh, which, again, I think does not bode well in this game um, naturally. But running the ball-wise, I think the backs have taken steps forward. I think the offense of the interior, the offensive line, appears to be, dare I say, ferocious <laughs> in the running game. I you just think it. they've really been – yeah, I, I, I did. I dared it, and I did it. But um, So and, – and then the defense is just kind of – you know, that that's the thing is, like, the defense just kind of still doing what they do. So, um, yeah, I think there's been progress. I'd say one, the one, there is one thing though, uh, maybe where they haven't, in my opinion, and that would be on the special team side of things. Obviously, Nordine's struggles are the. Are I don't know if he'll older. be kicking Saturday if the winds are twenty miles an hour, though. Right, that's where it's 
it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, there's articles about like his kicking coach talking about it and stuff. And I just, I just, I think it's all mental and that type of stuff. You know, it just sounds like there's a lot of noise surrounding him right now. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how he reacts. You know, Kenny Allen reacted really well. It was against Wisconsin last year when he missed a pair of field goals. Mm, and then I don't think he missed yeah. yeah, I don't think he missed another one the rest of the season <laughs> after that. So you think Nordine's uh, got it? I mean, you've, you've talked to him a couple of times. Uh, no comment. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. He's, he's a fiery guy, I guess would be the best way to put it. So, um, I don't know. He's the, obviously the talents there, but like I said, I just think in my opinion, I, I'm not a kicker, but I think the kicking game is as much mental as it is mm-hmm. physical and lottery guards. And he's obviously in a slump. So, um, well, and but not a great weather game to get out of it. That too. Yeah. So, but punting wise, you know, Brad Robbins has been solid. He's just been kind of consistent since he got there. Nothing like no real leaps and bounds forward, but no real big steps backwards. I think same probably goes for people's Jones. I think he's been like, he's, he's, he's what I call the flashes guy. Like you can see it uh, in certain instances, but he's still kind of finding his way. I guess maybe Ambry Thomas has, has established himself as a guy that you maybe don't want to kick the ball to. I think he's a guy who could potentially break one, Um, which again, special teams, Another potential huge, huge, huge factor in this game, um, particularly in the return game. So, um, you know, we'll see there. But, yeah, they've improved. Uh, I think you're naive if you say they haven't. I think you're just looking for a reason to complain if you say they haven't. Again, that doesn't mean they're going to come out and punch Wisconsin in the mouth tomorrow and win. Uh, It just means that they're getting better. That it won't uh, be 42-13. Right, and I think it start, I do. I think it start. I think it does start at quarterback, um, but I also think it's as maybe as importantly, it's it's been up front. Yeah, um, you know, Bushel Beatty. They just gave named him offensive lineman of the week this week. I thought that was a significant uh, step forward for him if he graded out the, as their highest lineman last week. Um, That's something PFF did not agree with that. <laughs> I don't agree at all. Yeah. They're very, they're very bearish on him, uh, and his pass protection, obviously as, as am I. Um, but yeah, that's kind of one of those major differences between their grading and what must be Michigan's grading. So, uh, but no long story short. Yeah. I, I think there's no doubt they've improved. Uh, I just, Again, the debate is how much. Speaking of special teams, by the way, just a quick shout out to James Fogue. Uh, he he is, it's like a work of art, how he's able to just place it at the two. And Michigan is actually now third nationally in kick return defense, uh, less than 15 yards per return, which is kind of insane. I mean, he seems like, I mean, even like your baseline level kick returner should get 20 yards. I mean, that's why they touch back is at the 25. Uh, so he's doing... He's doing some interesting things in regards to special teams. Anyway, let's get to our lightning rounds. Uh, we'll we'll go back, bounce around back and forth. Um, so, Isaiah, you're up first. 0.5 touchdown passes for Brandon Peters over or under. I'll go over. I think he gets one. Okay. And then, Steve, 75.5 yards for Michigan's leading rusher. Ugh. 75 I got I have to go under I just I, I we just talked about how they've improved but there's also the track record of them not performing well on the road against legitimate opponents I just have to side with that for now well I don't even know who their leading rusher how many yards they had last season when Michigan 
wasn't just improved. They were legitimately good. So we'll see. Anyway, Gentry, McCune, and Perry receptions equals eight and a half. I mean, Michigan just completed, what, eight passes against Maryland, and I think they completed another eight against Minnesota. So can't possibly think that that's I, – I, I can't possibly think that that's going to be – they're going to get nine against Wisconsin, who – ridiculously good i mean i I mentioned the stats earlier their secondary is like it reminds me a lot of michigan's 2016 secondary and three of those guys four if you count jabril peppers are in the nfl right now and two more are kind of bouncing between practice squads so uh they kind of remind me of that unit so no i'll take an under there isaiah 35 and a half yards as michigan's longest offensive play Oh, I'll go under. It, uh, yards are going to be at a premium, and it's, I, I, I think it's going to be a grinded-out type thing. I don't think they're going to be necessarily looking for big chunk plays as much as they're just trying to get, you know, three, four, five, maybe ten at a time. Fair enough. Steve, 144.5 passing yards. Oh, man. Uh ugh. Over, but barely. Okay. I guess. Uh, that's, okay. that's a tough one. He's good at these, man. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 they're kind of sneaky, yeah. Um, anyway, for me, 14 and a half plays with a sixth O-lineman. I'd have to do some research to see how often they do that. But we have heard, I mean, I think Harbaugh kind of directed, I think Harbaugh went on at 97-1 Wednesday morning and seemed to use some words that suggested Ruiz might be getting a starting role. And then Tim Drevno kind of in the press conference a couple hours later, kind of backtracked on it and said, he's not necessarily in the top five yet, but he might play a lot. So I'll, I'll say over, I have no idea if 15 is a ton. They play about 75. They'll probably play 60 snaps against Wisconsin. So that's a fourth. So I might, I may end up being wrong, but I'm going to, I'm going to say over Uh, Isaiah, uh, one half missed field goal or extra point for Nordine. I'll go under. I think he gets it under control. Steve, 295 and a half total yards allowed by Michigan's defense. Oh, with the weather becoming looking like a potential factor, I, I have to say the under on that one. And then for me, Michigan is 0.5 on the turnover margin, plus 0.5. Uh, I'll say under. I mean, just look at. I mean, Wisconsin for all their fumbles and their and their interceptions, they also force a ton of turnovers. I think they've they've got close to 15 interceptions. They've got like six or seven fumble recoveries. So they're getting about two a game. Uh, and I don't know if Michigan's going to be quite that bad, but this is still a team that has had turnover issues when pressed in the past. So I will say under. Isaiah, 99 and a half rushing yards for Jonathan Taylor. I'm going to go over. I think Michigan will do a good job containing him, but I think he'll, he'll, he won't necessarily go completely off, but I still still have a decent pay. Yeah, I think he's averaging like 175, 180 rushing yards in games where he doesn't go out with injury. Uh, or games where he starts. Because I think, I think his first game, he only had 93 yards because he wasn't the starter. And then that Illinois game, he only had 73 because they took him out after a quarter. So I I would be 
very, very impressed if Jonathan Taylor had less than 100 yards. Uh, Steve, two and a half sacks for Michigan's front seven. Oh, for the front set, well, uh, 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 over. Okay, okay. I'm not quite sure what Wisconsin's allowed. I want to say it was like 14 or 15 this season, but anyway. Uh, and then finally, they'll be, the, they'll be the best front seven Michigan or that Wisconsin's face. So probably, probably by a healthy margin, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Iowa's probably the next best, and they're not, they're not what they were last season, um, in the front seven at least, but. Anyway, matter of fact, matter of fact, has that's I guess the more has Wisconsin faced a defensive line that's even in the same zip code as what Michigan will bring tomorrow? I mean, that's because Iowa, see. Iowa was that's what Iowa lost was up front. You know, I don't think that Wisconsin's played a defensive line that's even remotely as good as Michigan. I guess Michigan's probably played some pretty solid defensive line units. You know, between Florida, who I know Florida sucks now, but their defensive line was pretty yeah, solid. Yeah, C.C. Jefferson Michigan, was still there. Yeah, right. Michigan State. So I don't know. Yeah, that'd be an interesting, interesting one to look up. Um, it's it's very funny. I mean, because like Wisconsin, I don't think there's. I think everyone looks at their schedule a little too harshly. Um, by the way, Iowa's pass rush, according to Pro Football Focus, ranked 23rd. Michigan's huh. is ranked first. So. I mean, take it for what you will. I don't think 23rd is the same as first. Uh, Florida's in there 17. Uh, Penn State's in there 18. So you're right. Michigan Michigan has faced a few pretty good ones. Um, and we know we know PFF is not the only, like, you know, they don't factor in strength of schedule. They don't factor in, like, number of sacks. It's like, how many good plays do you do? Um, I mean, like, the number three pass rush, according to PFF, is Central Michigan. So... Take that for what you will, but you're right. Other than Iowa and and like Northwestern, I think has like Big Ten bodies, but I don't think that they are. I don't think they they have very many in the front seven. So two and a half, we'll see. We'll see. Finally, five and a half, three and outs for the defense. I think I'm gonna say under, even though it seems kind of weird. I'm gonna say under because. I don't think Michigan's. I don't think either team's going to have 12 drives in this game. I think it's going to be closer to 10 because both teams will happily run out that clock and win 10-7 any day of the week. Um, and then also Wisconsin, number one nationally in third down offense. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna just kind of plod their way through. I think that I I would trust Wisconsin to be able to get 10 yards more frequently than not uh, against Michigan. You know, and they might not score 20 points. They might not score, you know, they might not score 30 points. They might not score 20, but I don't think five and a half, three and out. So let's let's close up here. Uh, we'll do predicted breakout player, whether it's could, should, would, however you want to interpret it. Uh, someone you think is going to have a standout game. And then general overview of what you expect to happen. And then a score prediction. Uh, we'll start with you, Isaiah. Uh, I am going to go with, as far as breakout, uh, I'm going to go kind of really unheralded, kind of based off of what he was able to do last week. Uh, I think Josh UK is going to continue to get increased playing time, and he, I think he's going to be really good in this game. Uh, they're going to need him to be, of course, but, but I think uh, he gives you another speed element at the linebacker position, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking at him 
Uh, I know he's not going to play nearly as much as some of the other guys, but uh, I think he makes an impact when he's in there. Uh, as far as game overview type, I'm going to I'm going to say like it's, it's going to be it's going to be a slog uh, to you know to a degree. I think Wisconsin will impose its will to a degree, but I think it will also still be a close game. Uh, one of those ones where it just always kind of feels in reach, but Michigan doesn't quite get there. Uh, a lot of that being on the road, a part of that being Wisconsin just being a better team. Uh, final score, I've got Wisconsin winning 20-13. to 13. Okay, okay. Steve, how about you? Um, so I'll just say my score to get it out of the way. I have Wisconsin winning 19-12. to 12. I think it's going to be a weird. I think it's going to be a weird one. I think the weather will be a factor. Um, plus, I didn't want to just say like, I guess I almost said the exact same score Isaiah did. It yeah, you're down one, one point each team. team. <laughs> uh, let me re. I'll say seventeen to twelve then. Okay. Um, I think Michigan covers. I just, I don't know. I don't. I just again. It's it just. I I can't shake until they do it. It's less about the offense or the play call. It's just, can these guys go on the road and beat a legit? It's been, again, we say this every time we said against Penn State, that it's been like 12 years or something since they've beaten a top 20 team on the road. I think it was Notre Dame in 06 was the last time they beat a top 20 team on the road, and that team was loaded. I mean, the 06 team went on to the, you know, should have, you know, played for the national championship. So, um I just I don't see him getting it done. Uh, I don't know. I just it's I think it's kind of your typical. Be a lot of mistakes on both sides because uh, both defenses are really really good. Yeah, I think Wisconsin runs the ball a little bit more consistently. Maybe hits a big play in there somewhere. Um, you know, I, I it it'll be boring for the most part. I think I don't think it's going to be like an exciting game by any means. Kind of like you know it, it might play out almost like last year's game did. You know, that that was the difference mm-hmm. was uh was spate to Darbo was the difference in that game and, and Lewis's interception obviously. So um you know, I think it's like similar to that game. It just goes the other way this year. So um yeah, I mean that's where I'm at with it. Um I think Brandon Peters plays okay though, given the circumstances. I think he comes out of this a better quarterback okay. in preparation for Ohio State. Yeah, I'm I'm going to by the way, I'm looking up best pass rushes. Uh Wisconsin faced number 23 Iowa. No one else was even in the top 75. So Yeah. So yeah, you're I mean, you're right. These numbers, the sack numbers are probably a little inflated. Uh we'll see what they can do. I still think, I mean, just look at what their recent alums are doing in the NFL and these guys are performing as well or better. So we'll see. I guess we'll see. And 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 one thing to keep an eye on, Alex Hornerbrook uh, pretty efficient passer overall, but he's only 46.7% completion rate when pressured. Uh, it's just he hasn't been pressured very much. So, there you go. So, you know, if they can get to him, they'll get to him. Uh, my breakout player, I mean, I'd, I'd honestly pick someone for Wisconsin. But uh, for Michigan, I think, I think this is going to be a game where people kind of remember what Mike McCray, what had people so excited about Mike McCray? Because he's gotten a really bad rap uh, the past, well, I guess past couple months. Uh, it's hard hard to believe because he was on some people's like all Big Ten, all American lists entering the season. And then 
Kalik Hudson and Devin Bush came in and suddenly Mike McCray is not necessarily, you know, playing poorly, just he's probably the weak link among the group. So uh, I think, you know, as a senior, fifth-year senior, captain, uh, someone who's seen Wisconsin before and actually has played against them and knows, like, how physical they are and everything, I think I think he's going to have a game better. I don't know if he'll get the game ball, but I think he'll have a better game than people might be giving him credit for. As far as game overview, I'm in a similar boat as Steve. I think, I mean, it's going to be might be a record crowd. It's going to be college game day. It's going to be exactly the kind of weather Wisconsin wants to play in. And Michigan, to an extent, wants to play in that that kind of weather too. But Wisconsin is so much more on brand with the 41 degrees, 20 mile an hour winds. Uh, that's, that's who they are. That's who they've been for like 20 years. So they're not going to be one bit, you know, rattled. Uh, they're going to be at their home, home field. Uh, and I think that they're just a better team. I mean, they have seven, you know, they, they, they're a lot like the 2016 Michigan team where they've got a lot of guys who have been three year starters, two year starters, uh, a lot of guys who are fifth year seniors, seniors, redshirt juniors, uh, their transfers have done well. You know, Van Glinkle and Nick Nelson, they, they can't, you know, completely smooth tra- transitions for transfers, which is not, you know, just look at who Michigan's taken as transfers, not always a given. And so I think they just, they've got themselves a better ball club right now. And I, I just, I don't know. We'll see, but I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to score the points to keep up. I mean, they probably are going to be counting on, you know, at special teams or defensive touchdown just to, just to hang around. So my prediction, 24-10. I don't think it's the worst game that Michigan could have played. I think I think that you know we'll we'll look at that game and kind of be like, well, it could have been a lot worse. You know, a different a different coach team might have done worse, but I just have a hard time believing they can hang with Wisconsin. Uh, but we'll see. That's that's the whole point. If we could predict it now, uh, no one would. You know, no one would enjoy sports as much as as much as they do. So, Michigan's got a chance. I think ultimately the bottom line, and I think other people would agree with me, they have to do something different than what they've done in their first ten games. There has to be a new inspired effort. You know, something new, something different, uh, in order for them to come away with the win. Anyway, that's gonna do it for the Wolverine 24/7 podcast. Uh, be sure to check out all of our stories. Michigan.247sports.com, the MichiganInsider.com. We're going to have basketball stuff tonight. We're going to have lots of football stuff this weekend, of course. And then next week, big recruiting weekend, big football weekend with Ohio State, Michigan basketball being Maui. So lots going on. It's a it's a busy time of the year, but it's also a fun time of the year for us. Hopefully you enjoy this podcast. Hopefully you learned something. For Isaiah Hull and Steve Lorenz, this is Zach Shaw. This is the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, and we'll see you next time.